Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. As we continue our sermon series, Conjunction Junction, today's reading comes to us from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah occupies more space in the Bible than any other book, a massive piece of work detailing the words of a prophet sent by God in Israel's darkest hour, employing poetic oracles, narratives about Jeremiah himself, and large sections of sermonic prose. One of the most distinctive features of Jeremiah is the acute sense of impending disasters. It informs his message to the people of Israel. The prophet chastises Israel for various offenses, and while he sometimes calls for repentance, most of his oracles give the impression that doom is inevitable. And yet, even in these dark days, hope remains and restoration is assured. Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you, the Lord tells Jeremiah in chapter 30, for the days are surely coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people. Even when faced with seemingly insurmountable challenges, this theme of yet prevails. Darkness surrounds, yet there is light. Hopelessness looms, yet hope endures. We may falter and stumble, yet God holds us and gives us strength to carry on. So let's turn and hear this wonderful little message of hope and assurance from Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah chapter 50 verses 33 through 34. The Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, the people of Israel were oppressed together with the people of Judah. Their captors held them and refused to let them go. Yet their redeemer is strong. The Lord of heavenly forces is his name. He will surely defend their cause and give them rest in the land. But he will unsettle the people of Babylon. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. yourself together you got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it don't say that later will be better now you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it and if the night runs over and if the day won't Along the stormy path 
there is always more to the story. Wouldn't you agree? It's a universal truth. There is always more to the story. And perhaps this should be our daily mantra. Rarely do we have all the facts. Seldom do we have all the information about what might happen next. There is always more to the story. Consider the old man sitting alone on that park bench feeding the pigeons. Where did he come from and where is he going? Consider the war veteran standing at his post on the center median, holding that paper cup in one hand and the cardboard sign in the other. What is his story and where is that leading? The middle-aged woman smoking a cigarette while pacing nervously outside the doors of the emergency room at midnight. What's her story? The 20-something clutching his cup of coffee, sitting uneasily in a circle of strangers at his very first AA meeting. What's that story? The first-time mother rocking her infant back to sleep at 2 a.m. while staring down the tunnel of postpartum depression, or the high school senior running through that list of colleges one more time without the faintest idea whatsoever of what he will do with the rest of his life. Each of them, of course, find themselves in a particular moment of time that we would call the present. And the present is a moment that's bookended by a past that we cannot change and a future that we couldn't possibly predict. We all find ourselves in that moment uh, called the present, which is right between how did I get here and where am I going? Between what just happened and how is this all going to end? Some people call that moment in time uh, liminality or liminal space. Maybe you've heard of this concept. Liminal from the Latin limen, it means a point of entering or beginning, kind of like a doorway, if you will. A liminal space is a moment between what was and what is to come, a space of transition and waiting and uncertainty. And it's also, if we happen to make it through it, it's, hap- it's also this threshold that leads to new realities and new identities, maybe even new possibilities. The problem is that most of us humans don't necessarily want to go through liminal spaces because they can also feel, often feel as what John, St. John of the Cross once described as, as a dark night of the soul. And they can often feel so long in time, in duration, that we can almost give up before we get through them completely. Years ago, U2, the band, wrote a song about this experience, describing uh, what it's like as uh, something like a, a, a stuck in a moment that you can't get out of kind of experience. That song by U2 was written uh, as a tribute to the late frontman of In Excess, Michael Hutchins, who took his life at the age of 37. And in the song, Bono imagines what it might be like if, if Hutchins was still alive. And, and, and he tries in this song to persuade his friend to hold on a little longer, even in that present darkness. And so he sings, and if the night runs over, and if the day won't last, and if your way should falter along this stony path, it's just a moment, and this time will pass. 
It's a, it's a hard truth for us humans to accept that there is always more to the story if only we can stay in the story long enough. This uh, truth, I think, is reflected in the subtle yet extraordinary power of this week's conjunction, yet. When we think about who God is and how God works in our lives and in the world, and we think about how our futures are open and our futures are replete with possibility, we can turn to this hopeful, promising little word, yet. It's an indispensable conjunction in the grammar of Christian faith. It appears literally hundreds of times in the Bible, but unlike and and for and while, which we've already explored in this series, yet is a conjunction we actually don't use much in the modern world. In fact, we're we're most apt to use the word yet, not as a conjunction, but as an adverb, right? As in, I can't believe it's already February and I haven't gone skiing yet, right? But it's less common to use yet as a conjunction, I think, thanks in large part to the popularity of its uh, very close cousin, but, which we would assume means the same thing. In fact, have you noticed how we sometimes uh, use these interchangeably, yet and but, um, as in, um, uh, we'll stick with the skiing. Uh, I grew up skiing, but now I prefer snowboarding. You can boo at that if you want. Um, <laughs> or, I love skiing, yet I'm not a big fan of moguls. You see, most assume that there's no real difference between but and yet. But according to a lot of grammar nerds, uh, there's there's actually a a subtle difference between these two, and knowing the difference between them can change everything in a particular context. But, as we would know, it introduces a contrast between two ideas or things, and it simply treats that contrast as a matter of fact, without any emotional component to it. Yet, on the other hand, introduces a contrast while also expressing a feeling of expectation, or possibility, or surprise, or mystery. Uh, think about this, for example. Uh, you, you match up with someone on a, on a dating app. Now, I've been married 34 years. I don't know how this works, okay? But I'm, <laughs> but I'm guessing um, it works something like when you meet up with someone, you maybe have a nice dinner, um, you get to know each other. And imagine at the end of that date, he or she says something to you like, uh, you know, I, I like you, but we don't have much in common. Now, unless you're a, a little slow at picking up on social cues, you, you probably figure you don't have a chance at all in this relationship, right? But if your date says to you, I like you, yet we don't have much in common, you might reasonably infer from that comment that the door's still cracked just a little bit, right? I mean... I got a shot, right? That yet suggests that that you've got a chance. I mean, it could be that you're just super desperate. I don't know. But but it doesn't, it's not a stretch to imagine that maybe with a little work, you got a shot. That maybe, that maybe there's more to this story after all. I know it's subtle, but it's real. You can even feel these words in your body. You say the word but, and you can actually feel your shoulders slump ever so slightly. 
But say the word yet, and can you feel your eyebrows raised just a little bit in expectation or suspense? Try it. You'll see what I mean. You can say, the world can seem so violent and cruel, yet I will choose peace and kindness. You could say, I have no idea where this work project is going, yet I will soldier on. Or you could say, she broke my heart after the second date because it turned out we really didn't have anything in common, (laughs) yet I will love again. There's something about yet that suggests maybe there's more to the story. Yet, then, is a word of faith, and it's a word of hope, especially when we find ourselves in these liminal spaces and we don't have all the facts and we wonder if everything or even anything is going to work out in the end. And throughout uh, uh, Hebrew and Christian scripture, this word yet is used to connect something hopeless with something hopeful something painful and frightening with something comforting and promising. It often brings together, in other words, uh, in one simple thought or sentence, both our darkest realities as human beings and God's divine possibilities in any given situation. And I think it's best illustrated in this story we heard from uh, the book of Jeremiah, the 50th chapter, which is written into one of the most liminal and darkest spaces in Israel's history. The Jews are stuck in a moment, and they can't get out of it. That moment, historically, is called the exile, and they've been exiled. They've been detained by their captors in Babylon for 70 years. Consider this. Consider being stuck 70 years in a foreign land, captive. A whole generation that went into exile has has certainly died in captivity Those who are surviving elders uh, mostly have given up hope of ever going home, and those born into captivity have no concept of what home even looked like. And just when uh, Babylon uh, can't get any bleaker for the Jews, the prophet Jeremiah writes them an oracle announcing that the time has come, finally, for them to go home. The prophet says, you have been oppressed Your captors have held you and refused to let you go. Yet, your Redeemer is strong. And the Lord of heavenly forces is his name. He will surely defend their cause and give them rest in their land. Just when all hope seems lost, Jeremiah speaks this divine yet into the liminal space of their collective experience. And suddenly their eyebrows rise just a little bit in hopefulness and suspense. And what Jeremiah is saying is, it's just a moment. This time will pass. Things look bleak, but your redemption is near because there's always more to the story. It all hinges on this one little word, yet. There's another story in the Gospel of Luke about a time when Jesus finds himself in a liminal space. Jesus goes to a garden called Gethsemane. He takes a couple of his best friends with him, but they can't stay awake. It's hours, just hours before his arrest. It's 24 hours or so before his crucifixion. Jesus already seems to know what's about to happen to him. He is overcome with grief and fear. The dark reality of his predicament overwhelms him. And so he prays famously, 
Abba, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And what makes that such a profoundly moving prayer is this simple but all-determining yet. Jesus knows what's immediately going to happen to him. Crucifixion awaits him, but he wills himself to trust that after that, after that is something else. There's, there's more to his story than any human eye or human brain can, can conceive of. Yet not my will but yours be done. It is only possible to pray that prayer if you believe that there's more to the story, which is why yet is one of the most hopeful words in the Christian lexicon. It speaks to a belief in divine possibility in a world that is ruled by, by reasoned probability. Have you ever noticed how so much of our modern life is governed by odds and probability? Life insurance, car insurance, health insurance, Powerball, Vegas, horse racing, weather forecasting, <laughs> medical diagnoses, even the dating app you use to find the person with whom you surprisingly had nothing in common. There's, there's probability attached to all of it. And so we ask ourselves, what are the odds of survival? What are the odds of winning? What are the odds of getting sick or getting in an accident or getting struck by lightning or getting divorced or finding a match or finding a job or finding a soulmate? Every day in the modern world we are told that we're just playing the odds and that our attempts to beat the odds are futile. And if we do happen to beat the odds, we are just one of the so-called lucky ones, right? Because in the end, we are told the system is rigged against us. And I know it's a rather dark view, but it is the modern worldview. And this modern worldview fosters only competition. It fosters only scarcity thinking. And it robs each of us of wonder and gratitude and hopefulness. Whenever probability rules our lives, we will live in fear. We lose our capacity for surprise and awe. We are sitting around then just waiting for that proverbial shoe to drop, assuming that just based on the facts, there is really nothing about our situation that will play out any different than the evidence points to. And so there's not much more to the story than this. God is not an odds maker. And our futures are wide open, which means that every liminal space that we're in is bursting with divine possibility. There is always more to the story. Just after I moved here from San Diego back in 2014, one of my very first meetings was a finance meeting, and we were discussing to get together the, the need for a reserve fund in the event of some major disaster. When I asked, yeah, I, I said, look, I, it's a funny question, but how much in reserve would we need if, if by chance, I don't know, maybe a, a tornado hit St. Andrew? <laughs> and somebody across the room actually laughed and said, Pastor, rest assured, 
we don't have tornadoes here. <laughs> There's always more to the story. If you were just playing the odds on those Jews in exile, you'd say they'd never get home. Their captors had a pretty good thing going. They would never sign off on a plan to let those Jews go free. And then it happened. The Persians invaded Babylon and conquered the Babylonians. And when the Persian leader Cyrus the Great moved into town, he sent the Jews packing back home. Because in God's calculus, divine possibility always transcends human probability. And because of that, we can begin to look at our own lives and, and ask ourselves in our own liminal spaces, uh, are our own lives unfolding still? Are our own lives responding to God's call? And what is it going to take for me to stay in the story long enough? In the late 1970s, Canadian singer and songwriter Leonard Cohen you've heard of him, composed a song that was by all accounts a complete flop, despite the fact that it took him like five years to write it and more than 80 draft verses. That's a lot of work. In 1984, he liked it so much, he recorded the song and he, he gave it to his record label, CBS, who refused to, to pick it up. So Cohen released that song through an independent label and no one bought the song. Over the next several years, Cohen kept tinkering with that song, but it never really went anywhere. And one night, Cohen was playing that song in a club in New York when another musician by the name of John Cale was in the audience. Cale was a founding member of the Velvet Underground, and he was blown away by Cohen's song. So Cale later did a cover version of Cohen's song for a Leonard Cohen tribute album called I'm Your Fan. The album was released in 1991, and almost no one bought the album. But a woman by the name of Janine did buy the album, and she lived in Brooklyn. And she had this musician friend by the name of Jeff Buckley. Maybe you've heard of him. And Buckley uh, would often house-sit for Janine. And one day, while Buckley was house-sitting, he spotted the CD of I'm Your Fan on the coffee table, and he decided to play it. And as he heard John Cale's version of Leonard Cohen's song, he decided to do a version of his own. Later, Buckley is performing that version of that song in a little club in the East Village when an executive from Columbia Records was in the uh, audience and decided to sign Buckley to a record deal. Uh, Buckley recorded his version of Cohen's song, which was actually a cover of Cale's song, on an album called Grace, and it was the first studio album Buckley had ever done, and nobody bought the album. <laughs> but then something tragic happened. It was now 1997. Buckley traveled to Memphis and decided to go swimming in the Mississippi River, and he vanished. He was never seen again. But suddenly, the world took an interest in Buckley's music, and that song, Alleluia, was thrust into the spotlight. Are you following this? <laughs> Fifteen years after Leonard Cohen wrote a song that essentially flopped, Buckley's version, which also flopped, and which was a cover of John Cale's version that also flopped, is today ranked as one of the top 500 greatest songs of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. 
It's been covered by 300 or more uh, bands, including Dylan, Bono, Bon Jovi, and countless others. And I know it's just a story about a silly song, but it does say there is more to the story, a universal truth, which is God's truth. And maybe that is why the song says, yet even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my tongue, but alleluia. Our takeaways for today, we are always living between what was and what is to come, always. Every liminal space is bursting with possibility. And because our future is wide open, there is always, always more to the story. Amen. I did my best, it wasn't much. I couldn't feel, so I tried to touch. I've told the truth, I didn't come to fool you. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song with nothing on my tongue but hallelujah. Hallelujah. tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.